you would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, this is God's word. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you. And with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Did God have a right to do what he did? Was it legitimate for God to send a flood and destroy all the people who were living apart from Noah and his family? Yes, of course. Why is that okay? Why Why would it be just for God to do such a thing? Because everyone on the planet is living under the sentence of death. All of us, even now. It's not like, well, not me, I'm in great shape. 
all of us are living under the sentence of death. Why? Because God promised back in the garden, don't eat the fruit of that tree because if you eat of that tree, death will enter the picture. In that day, you will surely die. And that's when death entered the picture. That's when Adam and Eve began dying. That's what ensured that their offspring would die. And you and I are not only related to Noah, but obviously we're related to Adam and Eve. We inherited from them a sin nature and a death sentence. We're born headed in the wrong direction, bent toward evil. Even when we try to do the right thing, we find ourselves falling short. And we're all headed for the grave. Well, Pastor Wood, I mean, I'm I'm really hoping to be alive when Jesus comes again. Good, I'd like that too. But unless Jesus comes as soon as I hope, I'm going to have to die. And I've had to do the funerals of a lot of people that I cared about who were younger than I am and who who were younger than I was at the time I did their funeral. I've had to do the funerals of children, teenagers, everything in between, all the way up to very, very old people. So if God says... Time is up and take someone out. Does he have a right to do that? Yes. Well, why should I have to die because of what Adam and Eve did? Well, we don't get to make the rules, but I'll point out one thing. You and I have all done what Adam and Eve did. See, it wasn't just them. They sinned. We do too. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we can't say, well, you know, I don't deserve this. Yes, we do. Well, so you're saying it wasn't a, a, you know, a, a really awful, terrible, horrible loss of life when all those people died? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it was totally just. If God simply gave us all what we deserved, we would all be destroyed. But God, in his mercy, not only destroyed with a flood, but he spared Noah and his family. The remarkable thing that should stand out to us is not that everybody else got killed, it's that anybody got saved. That's what's remarkable. Why would God do that? Well, maybe he didn't know the stuff that would follow. Oh, yeah, he did. The end of the previous chapter, when God's saying, I'm not going to do that again, he, he adds this phrase. Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. Did you, did you notice that last time? God said, 
People haven't changed. The folks who were on the ark, do you suppose that during the time they were on the ark, they were totally sinless in their attitudes and behavior? You think? Of course not. If somebody ran cameras videoing you 24-7 for more than a year, I'm guessing we'd probably find that you did something that wasn't right during the course of that year. Would you say? Of course. How long would we have to have the cameras on? Maybe, maybe a month? Uh, a week? 24-7? Yeah, I think you'd probably find something wrong within the course of a week. What about in the course of a day? How many of you believe that in the course of a day, it is likely that you would either do something you shouldn't, fail to do something you should, or display a bad attitude? Let me see your hands. If anybody doesn't raise their hand, you are doing something bad right now. Okay, I mean, all of us mess up. That's why nobody can ever be saved by just cleaning up their act and doing the right thing. Okay, from now on, I'm going to get it. I've made mistakes before, but from now on... I'm not saying you can't have improvement. I'm saying it'll never be enough. All of us need a Savior. So God saved Noah and his family from that disaster. Now, all of them are going to die, but God saved them from that outpouring of wrath and gave them the privilege and responsibility of starting over. And God, in chapter 9, makes a covenant with Noah. And there are several things that happen along with this. For one thing, God says, I'm going to let you now eat meat. I'm glad God said that. I really am. I, I do realize that if you do the studies and check it out, you'll find that people who eat a healthy vegetarian diet have a lower chance of developing Alzheimer's. They have longer, healthier lives if they eat a healthy vegetarian diet. Now, there are some vegetarians who are just starving themselves. They don't get the necessary protein by eating legumes and other things, and as a result, they, they don't do well. But the people who eat a healthy vegetarian diet, statistically speaking, do better. Pastor, what are you suggesting we should all do that? No. No, I'm not. I, I was delighted by the story over the weekend that the executive who was brought in to try and help boost sales for uh, Beyond Meat um, uh, lost his job, and I, I believe was arrested because he bit a man in the nose. I guess no matter how much simulated meat you eat, it's just not enough to satisfy that inner hunger, okay? 
I, mean, I just thought, you, you know, what, what are the odds of that happening? The guy is an executive with Beyond Meat, and he bites a human nose. Was it just hunger overcame him or what? You know, I'll just tell you this. When God said you can eat meat, I say thank you. But what about the animals? Well, what about the plants? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. How do you know plants don't have feelings? Imagine the helplessness of a celery stalk. People just crunch away as if it's just nothing. Well, it's okay. They've already cut it off from the ground. I'm just telling you, our life is fed by life. Okay? We don't eat rocks. We don't eat gravel. We eat things that have been alive because God designed us to live that way. I'm glad he said we can eat meat. But God also did give his people in this passage, there will be more restrictions for the Jews, but in this passage, God said, but you must not eat something that still has the lifeblood in it. Why is that? Well, first of all, God said it. That's enough. But secondly, God was building into people at this point a respect for life. God said that the life is in the blood and it would all end up pointing to the blood of the Lamb, the one who would give his life for us. They did not see that at this point. God didn't tell them that at this point. But when God is going to bring his people out of Egypt, he has them kill a lamb and drain the blood into a basin and then take some of the blood and put it on the top and the two sides of the door. And that sign of the cross in blood is going to be the thing that causes the angel of death to pass over that home. Their firstborn will be spared because of the death of God's only begotten son. Did they get that? No. God didn't explain that to them then. That would not be explained until generations later when Jesus is meeting with his disciples on the night that he was about to be betrayed. The same day that he would end up being crucified because the Jews count the night before and then the day as one day. Where, where, where did they get that idea? All the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Okay? So on the night that he was going to be betrayed, which is the day that he is going to die, Jesus explains to his disciples that the Passover celebration they are experiencing was not just about Egypt. It was pointing to what he would do for them that day. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. He's the lamb. We sang about that this morning. He's worthy. The lamb is worthy because he gave his life and then conquered death. Jesus then, after the meal, took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant. This was the covenant with Noah. There would be other covenants that would follow. But then there is one covenant that does away with all the others, and it is an eternal covenant. And that is the new covenant. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink of it. We're to do this in remembrance of what he did and looking forward to his coming again. So, God tells them they can eat not just the plants, but they can eat the animals. But they still have to treat the life of the animal as something that is valuable and not to be discarded. By the way, the Bible is very clear that a righteous person cares for his animals. That's explicitly stated in the book of Proverbs. Cruelty to animals is not just not nice. It's an offense against God. And God says that he will even demand an accounting from the animals. Really? Yeah, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's notice. And God is saying to Noah, after his judgment has fallen, that they must not be like the generations before, where the world was filled with violence. Life is to be respected. You can eat the animals, but you must not be cruel or treat them as if their lives don't matter. Their lives matter to God, so they should matter to you. And as far as man's life, whoever sheds a man's blood, whoever kills a human, is to answer by being executed. God said, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God has God made man. It is precisely because human life is valuable that the death sentence for murder is sanctioned in the Old and the New Testament. I know that bothers some people, but I'm just going by what it says here on the printed page. And then God says, I want you, because human life is valuable, because people are made in the image of God, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. It's good to have kids. Not everyone can have kids. But in the context of marriage, multiplication is a good thing. It is a good thing. Having children is good. Taking care of your children and nurturing them and disciplining them is commanded. It's not just a positive. It's required. 
You can exercise stewardship so that you are able to invest time in your children. Okay? We, we have friends who had one little boy, and he was adorable, and then they had twins right after that, like within the year. Wow, that's a lot. Three little kids within a year of each other. Yeah, well, while they were trying to figure out how to handle that, she found out she was expecting again. <clears throat> and she had another set of twins within the next year. Let's just say it, it, was, it was not uh, real smooth in that household, okay? In fact, the husband and wife ended up getting a divorce. And they were both strongly professing Christians. Eventually, by God's grace, they reconciled. And they were all back here to visit earlier this year. Walking with Jesus, and I got to meet all those grown kids and their kids. Quite amazing. What a handful of people. But I'll tell you, it is possible to prayerfully do some planning that reduces the risk of your having five children in three years. And I would recommend that if you get married, you do some planning. Just my counsel. Then God said to Noah and his sons, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. I establish my covenant with you, verse 11. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And the sign of this covenant will be the rainbow. Now remember that up to this point, prior to the flood, you didn't have rainstorms and all that stuff. That wasn't happening. The earth and the atmosphere was very different prior to the flood. And God did something cataclysmic with the earth that not only caused rain to fall, but also caused waters under the earth to erupt, and God flooded the whole earth, and afterwards things had changed, including the fact that God made it so that man's lifespan is shorter. Now, if you read in the Old Testament prophets, one of the things you'll find is that the day is going to come in the future as part of what God is going to do when, again, a person who only lives to 100 will be considered a youth. Lifespans are going to be longer. When is that? After we get in the biodome? What's he talking about? Don't worry about it. Is he building a biodome? Absolutely not. But, but here's the thing. That's going to happen when something else that God has promised happens. Well, what is that? There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Really? How do we get there? Well, this present heavens and earth are going to be destroyed. I thought God said he wouldn't ever destroy again. He said he wouldn't destroy with a flood. But turn, if you would, for a moment to 2 Peter chapter 3.
Is this about global warming? Well, depends on how you define global warming. I think that's an understatement. Second Peter chapter 3, this is God's Word. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Deluged means flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be nervous and scared and worried about the future. Oh, I'm sorry, I looked up. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. What, what's coming? Fire. God is never again going to destroy all the life on earth with a flood. But God is going to bring judgment on the earth. And those who are in Christ will be totally safe. And those who are not in Christ will be totally cooked. Oh, so so is, that, is that kind of what hell is? No, actually, hell is a permanent state of affairs for those who end up there. It is a place, the Bible says, that God has prepared for the devil and his angels. But tragically, lots of people refuse God's grace and pursue the path that the enemy leads them in. Uh, I, you know, I was really just hoping we could stop with the thing about no, no flood. Well, according to the New Testament, the reason we need to remember about the flood is so we know that God does keep his promises and that judgment is coming. And therefore, we want people, because we agree with God, 
who is giving people time to repent. We want people to know that there is hope, that salvation is offered in Christ Jesus. Whosoever will may come. I don't understand what... Sometimes you sound like you're saying there's election, and other times you sound like you're some kind of Arminian saying, whosoever will may come. When I was a child, my parents told me something that I thought was very helpful. As you approach the gates of heaven, there is a sign over the gate, quoting scripture, whosoever will may come. When you walk through that gate and you look back, Over the gate, there's another verse. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Is God sovereignly working out his purpose? Absolutely. Part of his purpose is that you and I would be graciously offering eternal life to all who will come to Jesus. If you have never really trusted in Jesus as your only hope, If you are still trying just not to deal with it, not think about it, maybe when I'm older, I plead with you while you have the opportunity, ask God to save you. Ask God to save you. There was a mournful song that I heard when I was a kid, a tenor by the name of Mr. Marsh sang it. In youth, I heard him calling me in tones so strong and clear. And in the years that followed, still his beckoning I'd hear. The fleeting prime of manhood seemed too busy to respond. The life-giving message grew fainter. The years went by. And at the end it says, his spirit is calling no longer. Don't wait, hoping that later on, later, I can deal with this. When the flood came, God closed the door. And the only ones who were saved were those who were inside. I don't know how much time we have. I don't know how much time I have. But my only hope is Jesus. It's not a prayer I prayed. It's not something I did. It's not being good enough. It's Jesus. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust in his unchanging grace. His blood availed for me. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And he died for me. Some of you say, well, how do I know he died for me? If you're trusting in Jesus, he died for you. Well, what if I don't trust him enough? Well, what are you trusting in instead? I don't have any other hope. If you don't have any other hope, you're trusting in Jesus. If you think it's Jesus plus you, I'm sorry. Read the book of Galatians. 
But if you know, I cannot earn this, I don't deserve this, I don't understand why God would save me. Now you're talking like a person who's saved. Because our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. And if you know that, you're trusting him. You're his. You're safe. You don't have to be afraid of what's coming. Well, what about that rainbow symbol thing? Should we maybe do that all over campus and, and uh, you know, put rainbows up? No, we're not doing that. Well, why not? Well, because some people have hijacked that symbol. Theirs isn't quite like the real rainbow. They modified it slightly, like they modify other things. But... I want you to understand every time you see a rainbow up in the sky, that's a reminder from God that he's not going to judge the earth with a flood again. But it's also a reminder, according to 2 Peter, that he did and that there is judgment coming and that people need to be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for choosing to save. Thank you so much that we're alive today and we have an invitation from you to trust in you, to call upon you, to ask for mercy. Help us, Lord God, to truly repent and believe the good news. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.